Planet GovX is a weekly roundup of the key public sector transformation stories from around the UK and further afield. As we shine a light on what's working and build bridges between different jurisdictions to improve delivery and transform outcomes. Planet GovX is supported by Forrester, helping government organisations perform at their best. Hello again and welcome to another episode of Planet GovX, our regular look through the world of government transformation, where I'm joined by our GM for government, David Wild, to take a look at the biggest stories of the last couple of weeks, what's happening, what it means for people that work in the public sector, and what it means for the rest of us in terms of impact on citizens. Those of you that watch the YouTube version of this, uh, I've been told I need to look a bit more cheerful while I'm listening to David Wax Lyrical, so look out for a few more inane grins as I try to keep up the smile factor. Other than that, nothing else to say other than let's dive in and I'll be back at the end to say goodbye. So I want to have a look at, um, it's actually related to an infographic we put out uh, earlier this week and you and I had a couple of conversations around the future of data and government. I think we're, we're of the view that the debate around the technology and the interoperability and cloud and stuff, we've, we've moved past that, or albeit some organisations are still catching up, but I, I think the argument's been won very convincingly by people like you advocating cloud for, for donkey's years. So now we're at the point where we can actually start to harness the power of some of this data. We've got data sets floating around all over the place, but now we can start to bring them together, you know, overlay them, look for some meaningful patterns, which sounds exciting. So. I'm kind of curious, for you, what's the big opportunity around government data? What, what, what are the kind of uses and examples that are exciting you that we think everybody out there listening should be really trying to get to grips with and harness themselves? Big one for me, I think, is going to be economic recovery. It's got to be the big ticket item for the next two years because we are in a very deep hole. Uh, and there is data, I think, is absolutely the heart of how economic recovery can be the bounce back that the government really wants or will end up being a long and painful journey that we suffered through the 80s. Let's not have the latter, let's try and have the former. So use the data we've got out there to intelligently um, plan where we want to attract new industry, where we want to reskill people, embrace and accept the fact that retail has changed and have a look at what's going to be different to create new jobs for young people going forward. Data should be able to tell us what we can target where at a hyperlocal level, work with local government to make it happen and work with businesses. And if we use it, we can get much more intelligent around what kind of incentives you put in place to attract particular kind of businesses, what kind of um, skills we need to grow in particular geographies so that businesses don't go away or don't fold through lack of talent and capability. So I think that's the big one for me. Um, I think let's not you know repeat what we've said previously around health i think that pretty much stands on its own and covid and all the rest of it but yeah definitely economy economy yeah. economic growth jobs opportunity yeah and for me um you know we've talked a lot before about the sort of overlaying of data sets to provide these new insights whether that's sort of yeah. uh local plans whether that's sort of interventions in sort of social problems and stuff so where you can start to map this yeah environmental, social, employment, education, all of this stuff to build up these kind of nuanced pictures of the places we're dealing with. That's, that's um, the kind of And local plans should not just be about housing. They must be about quality of life. It's gotta be about economic growth, hand in hand, you know, and, and we get 
too often we hear in planning uh, the focus about how many houses you need in a place houses are a small part of the story mm. right complex data sets can actually give you uh, something that um, you know it's not as if we haven't done it in the past i mean this is where uh, you know the likes of milton Keynes came to be and all the rest of it but actually we could do it so much better now because the, the, the tech we've got and the quality of data the quantity of data and i think the maturity we have around ethical data use means we, we should be able to do this so and so much better now yeah sounds like the sort of the exciting pieces around the scale of the deployment i mean I think you can see how you can use a data set for a very tactical piece of discrete work around a particular problem. But what you're advocating is is really kind of opening up the, the scale and uh, ambition almost around how we're going to use data to, to solve these big, you know, yeah. macro problems or macro challenges or macro opportunities to really start to harness the power of this stuff. So, I mean, how far away are we from this stuff? It's going on in pockets, but i think it's already happening at national scale we just don't we're not we're not public enough about it sometimes and and the one that still holds true for me is what we talked about previously neighborhood renewal started you know under uh, a labor administration back in 97 98 and has followed through coalition governments and conservative administrations so it's transcended politics in recognition of the fact that putting the time and effort in through good data and analytics to under, understand where our most deprived communities are, and then work over 25 years to do something about it. That for me is, is big data and big analytics in action. So next up we have New York City has unveiled its first ever citywide IoT strategy. Uh, we were lucky to have New York's CTO, John Paul Farmer join us in November at the, uh, yep. the last conference. And I was fascinated by what he said. I mean, he spoke, as a CTO and barely mentioned technology, it was about people, it was about equity, it was about fairness and smart cities and enabling that. So this is a, this is their first attempt at an IoT, Internet of Things for those that don't know the acronym, but probably should by now. Um, so what do you make of it? Uh, it's ambitious and is it something that everyone else should be trying to emulate? Yeah, good. So, you know, it was great when we we had that conversation with John Paul back at the time, you know, he was what was really refreshing about the fact was the point you made was that uh, it was about people, it was about business, it was about getting around the city and how much cleaner and easier we can make that for everybody. Um, and I think the IoT strategy that they've published is 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 continuing to live that that approach and it's the right approach. It's not about the widgets. The widgets do what they do it's about how you deploy them and how you use them to actually shape and change the way that your city can operate i think uh you know their their ambition is very very clear about you know reduce pollution of course it's a city wouldn't you expect anything else improve travel let's get into that 10 15 20 minute city conversation because that's absolutely where john paul is and it absolutely comes through on that iot piece so it isn't about things in isolation, it is about the city as a whole and how to marry up how IoT can help that city breathe and run and operate and play faster than it does today. Excellent. Love it. It's almost as if there's a theme here, which is if you join stuff up, things work better. No figure, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the fog is lifted and yeah, I mean, I. I I guess the question, if we're looking to the close of the home, is 
do any other cities have a similar level of ambition in the UK? I mean, there's lots of initiatives, there's lots of projects around, but has anyone kind of pulled it all together in this kind of way? And is this kind of required reading for a lot of, uh, you know, sort of CTOs and CIOs in our, in our big sort of metropolitan uh, centres that, that they could take a similar level of ambition and, and give it a go? Yeah, I think we should learn, we should share. Uh, I think the um, the kind of material we've seen coming out of London, I think, is, is a little bit too tactical compared to the New York one. I like the simplicity of, of what John Paul's come out with. And if we compare and contrast, you know, we've got the Open Innovation Challenge Programme, um, which is also on your list, right? So let's pick that one up while we're at it, shall we? Uh, yeah. And what I saw there was... Um, a reach out to industry and a reach out to organizations and reach out to Londoners to tell us what you think you can do and some great innovations. What I didn't get was, which I got from the New York one was, um, yeah, I, I get that engagement and all that kind of stuff, but how ambitious are you being really? Uh, and John Paul's kind of the, the, you know, the document, it's not John Paul's document, it's New York's document, but New York's document and ambition is unequivocal about what they want to achieve. So let's step up to that level and, and kind of work. Ours is more British, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> and a little bit of American more up front there might not be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I read it to the the the, the mayor of London's um, program. Uh, what do we call it? Open Innovation Challenge Program. And it's okay. yeah, it's it's nice. I like the sentiment. I like the idea, but it's small in scale. It's not got a huge budget behind it potentially. Um, We'll see. It's early days. It's an open, it's a call for submissions. Um, and yeah. It's going to try. It's trying to tackle some, you know, some knotty problems. Uh, what have we got? Yeah. So there's helping Londoners to do good work, building strong communities, and a green New Deal and high street for all. And the underlying principles all sound great. Putting Londoners at the centre, shifting power, and putting control of projects in the hands of the users and organisations that are closest. Uh, creating connections across the city, across the boroughs, and outside the city. This is all good stuff, um, but I and guess twenty-minute ambition. Yeah, true, true. Thirty-minute ambition. Could it step up? You mm -hmm. know. Yeah, maybe be more prescriptive and saying this is this is a specific goal. I think the outcomes that it's seeking are are quite kind of broad. Maybe you know, and maybe they're looking for the submissions and solutions to sort of shape those outcomes to some degree. But but also, I think in being more definitive and saying this is our ambition for. X, Y, and Z. I think mm. you focus the attention, you focus people's minds, and you can drill into maybe some more specific outcomes. Um, yeah. and, and really, yeah, be prescriptive and, and set the vision and direction more more specifically. Yeah, and I think global cities generally need to be doing that. I mean, it's you know, New York have set their stall out and they're, they're aiming high and they're being quite, you know, uh, ambitious in their thinking. But that that's right. That's what global cities have to do. Global cities compete with each other. Yeah. Yeah. let's be honest it, you know london doesn't compete with manchester london competes with new york <laughs> it's kind of, that's the reality of what we're operating at so the sense of ambition needs to be needs to be at that global standard and, and kind of push that through so so that's what i'd like to see more of coming out in in that space yeah but hey we've got london mayoral elections shortly so let's see what happens there yeah i mean what whatever happens in in that we we need these kind of ambitious projects to stick we it's it's not a case of this is a this is a techie mayor this is a non-techie mayor it's, it's all got to be part of the mix constantly we know we need to empower our cios we need to empower our ctos in the public sector to drive this stuff regardless of who's in the in the main office and 
you know, we've had some conversations recently that that's definitely happening. You know, we've had yeah. some really, some really good, you know, examples of projects that are going on. So we just need it to scale out, really. And I think that idea sharing and that sort of celebrating the successes, which we're trying to do here, obviously, as well. Um, and that's a massive part of it. I mean, you know, there, there are some examples where they have on a smaller scale in the cities, you know, in the UK, Sunderland, you know, um, doing some, you know, they've always been out there going, we are going to make our city, you know, as, uh, as as future fit as we possibly can. And of course, there was the recent announcement, I think, in the last week or two around the, the big IoT initiative up there working with Nissan mm. yeah, um, on autonomous vehicles. So that kind of ambition, you know, we can we can bring out, but that that. But yeah, London. Yeah, that and do it yeah. Be bold, be ambitious. See what see what re resources and relationships you've got on your doorstep, which is what Sunderland have been smart at, right? We've got a big Nissan plant there. Let's let's see what we can do with them. See what they can, how we can, you know, harness the power of that big company to to drive some, you know, public sector innovation. Right. So yeah, excuse the drive pun, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So next up, David, I've got one of your favourite topics, uh, which is agile government. Now, before before you start, I'm gonna I'm just gonna tee this up for you before you start ranting. We had a really interesting session back in November around agile government, and, and we we pushed out some of the key findings and the key takeaways. Uh, and we had a fantastic panel. You know, we had Sally Meacham, who's the CEO for Centre for Digital Public Services Wales. We had Terry Makewell, who's the CTO at the UK Hydrographic Office. Catherine Benjamin from the aforementioned uh, Mayor's Office of the CTO in New York. And we had also Brett Gibson from uh, from Domo, so cloud experts and data experts there as well. Yeah. And it was interesting because we <laughs> there's big A and small A agile and people potentially interchange those terms in a slightly unhelpful way, don't quite get it. It's not just doing things a bit quicker. It's not just doing the same stuff with a bit of digital flavoring smattered over the top. So. Come on, both barrels. Tell me, agile government. What is it really? Is it happening? And um, what do we need to do to do it properly? Yeah, and and it will reflect on something else, which is around the shared services piece and the Darlington campus. All these kind of come into the mix around this. Um, and I think you know, back to my you know my 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 usual mantra around this. You know, remember where agile came from and what it was for. You know, it was for designing software, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it wasn't for reshaping society. Um, so so be careful how we use it um and and the infographic we've got on it uh, always the one thing i always look for um which is the the big challenge on agile scale up you can be as agile as you like but if you can't scale it up at the end it's just another pilot yeah so the, the, i still hold that challenge out there for everybody doing agile when you're doing agile are you doing it and, and tracking it and building it in a way that you can then multiply it a thousand times over, make it 150 times bigger and make it stick? Because yeah. if you're not, you're playing. Yeah. So that challenge from me to anybody in the agile world is, is be clear about that. And they're very clear about that, actually, in the agile methodologies that they, you know, that, that, that was born in 99, 2000. It was about making sure you, with Agile, whilst you can do all that great stuff, you still need the underlying discipline to be able to then take all of that thinking and all of that, that work that you do and all the show and tell and turn it into a product you can scale, sustain, and in that particular case, generate significant revenue from and profit. That's what it was all about. And you play that into the Agile government thinking, you know, to do a project in Agile, that doesn't scale 
it's not good you need you need to have that 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 scaling piece and that understanding about what would be required to make it work in a, a demography of 10 million yeah yeah not in a project of 200 yeah yeah and it it reminds me of um one of, one of my sort of favorite expressions i don't know who coined it but it's the innovation theater and this idea that you have you have this project that everybody gathers around in a big circle and watches it and feels all warm and fuzzy about it. Isn't that good? Isn't that exciting? And then the performance ends and everyone goes away and the next morning they vaguely remember they saw this play last night, but they go about business as usual and, and the learning's gone and it's, it's not, it's not kind of paying out in terms of its benefits and impact more widely. So exactly, you know, and, and we've seen some examples of, of that come through in, in, you know, people have talked about agile, you know, it, we've seen what's happened with God verify. Uh, but there are success stories where the discipline has been applied, you know, has been has been applied, uh, and it has worked through. So you know, Gov Notify, similar methodology. So these are good. So there are good and bad in the GDS world where they've done a lot of this stuff. Um, my plea is focus on what made the good good, and understand what made it not work, uh, and and you know apply those disciplines. And time and time again, I've spoken with countless people that work in banking and other areas where they've said where Agile has succeeded, and, and this is one for you, one particular large financial institution, big retail institution I dealt with, um, said we had the playground, that was Agile, and then we had the grown-ups room, which is where the old IT guys were. And so what they did was they waited till the playground had got to a point and then they took the toys away okay. and then they turned them into grown-up toys. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a cultural piece around this as well. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to be disparaging, but I'm not being disparaging delivering. But, but their point was that there is a point uh, through which you need to go from that iterative and from that experimental into industrial. Yeah, and it's understanding that transition is is one of the big conundrums I think around this whole methodology and this whole approach. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'd recommend everybody at home, uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes, uh, go and mm -hmm. check out that, that on-demand session from uh, from the guys back in November because really good practical stuff. A bit like you talking about the realities of it, not, not the, the concept of it, about making it stick and, and what you want to do and how you're going to manage cultural change around, you know, using agile methodology and so on. So worth checking yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, recognise it as a methodology, recognise its value in that context, don't treat it as a religion is kind of where I'm at. Okay, uh, we've not spoken before. This is a story did actually a couple of weeks back, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. So it's still current, which is so HM Treasury have been mooting this sort of northern base, northern campus for a while. Yeah. Uh, and they've recently announced that they've chosen Darlington. Uh, there were a couple of other places in the running. There was Leeds and Newcastle, and both those cities were pretty excited about this, about this possibility. Mm -hmm. So when the Darlington announcement came out, there were people, people raised a couple of eyebrows around, well, does it have the infrastructure or the talent pool or, or what have you uh, to, to sort of cope with this? Now, it's a modern world and it's a, we're, we're a pretty small island. So this idea, it's not out in the back of beyond, it's pretty close to some other places. So yeah. a couple of things that, that are interesting here is that the ambition has been there for a while to, to sort of de-whitehallize, which is not really a word, but you get my point, uh, the civil service. And where we can to look for opportunities to move out of London to different parts of the country. It's a good thing to do, sort of in terms of the signal it sends to the rest of the country that, that you know, UK government isn't isn't London centric. 
And then also it brings in different ideas, it brings in different talent pool, it potentially has a more diverse you know, cognitive range, if you want to call it that. People think differently in different places potentially. So what's your take on it? How, do, how does this move sort of stack up? It's been going on for a while. And then how do we make it work? Because that's that's the big thing. It's not just virtue signaling. It's got to, it's got to deliver impact. Yeah, it has. And, and we did a previous session, didn't we, around, um, you know, one of the big things for me around this is, um, is long-term planning to make it stick back to the sticking question again. And what was really interesting about both uh, that, that announcement, of course, has previously been the Wolverhampton announcement from, from Generic, you know, about part of uh, communities and local government moving into Wolverhampton. So, so there's a bit of it, you know, in the mix. Um, and, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a clear distinction um, that needs to be made around this, which is, is this is, you know, is, is this just moving some bodies to keep some people quiet, or is this going to be a sustained uh, relocation of how the machinery of government works? And, and two people far more esteemed than me uh, really sort of flagged this and, and threw some re very hard questions back to government this week. Lord Hesseltine and Sir Bob Kerslake, yeah, Lord Kerslake now I think he is. Um, both called out that, that key question, which is, um, moving moving Whitehall doesn't change Whitehall. Yeah. yeah. Um, and both of them um, flagged that if you're going to do this, you need to plan for the longer term and you need to move and create the ability within those destinations to fill those jobs as people retire and move on. So, and that was the success story I think I mentioned previously, Sheffield's success story was they achieved that. And a city with two universities uh, and also with with excellent um, further education and actually good education generally was going to achieve that darlington has that potential there's a lot of um, excellent um, you know further and higher education facilities up there um, and actually there is a pretty big civil service footprint already just up the road uh, in washington just outside newcastle it's where okay, most what's, of, what's up uh, there DWP and HMRC have huge data centers up there and a lot of IT people. Okay. And they always have, they have done since the 60s. So, so there is actually a lot of civil service up there. And of course, HMRC, Treasury, <laughs> part, yeah. of the, you know, they're, they're yeah. part of the same sub, sort of ecosystem. Uh, and actually DWP is in a kind of weird way, the Treasury, you know, DWP spends it all, Treasury collects it all. So it's kind of <laughs> Even on each other, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Darlington isn't as mad as it sounds because it is, it is going into an ecosystem that's not unfamiliar. Yeah, yeah, and it's commutable from Newcastle and Sunderland, and yeah, it's it's not. Oh, absolutely. And there is another big bit of the former civil service that's up there as well. That's where the teachers' pension agency is. It's where civil service pensions used to operate from. So, so Darlington isn't new in this, um, but it, it's it's creating more jobs. But back to again what both Hesseltine and both you know both Hesseltine and Kurzlake you know made a really clear point on is this will only work if you're willing to change culture in Whitehall to make it stick yeah uh, and also you're going to invest in those areas to create the capability for that to succeed in the medium to long term yeah how many how many times in in our conversation today we talked about this long term view I mean that's it's the it's the ball game right you you can amp up in the short term and, and sort of get something moving but for it to naturally and organically take hold and work properly it's you've got to have that long-term plan of how you sustain it with the resources with the people with the education all that stuff's got to be built into it 
And back to our earlier point, it's going to have to transcend administrations. You know, it's going to have to not be political, right? Um, because the colours, you know, governments will change. So what you don't want is you don't want people moving chess pieces around the board when you have a change of administration. So it's something that, that needs to transcend that, that political kind of landscape as well, um, which I think is going to be quite important. Um, so, so there's all that. And, and the other piece, which, which I saw a lot of from my time when I was in Sheffield, I told you before, you know, I, I, was, I was relocated to Sheffield and then I was relocated to London five years later. So, so you know, it's, it's about making sure that doesn't happen. Um, with those roles and equally what you don't want is you don't want half the civil service spending half their time on trains going back and forth even if it is hs2 um <laughs> yeah uh, what you don't want is you don't want um you know on the one hand moving the civil service to some place only for half the people you move there to be spending half their time coming to london to meet yeah. people to find their minister who, who yeah is still down there yeah yeah that's real risk so last one for you today david um we've just seen the release of the government business services shared services strategy is now doesn't sound terribly exciting on the outside but it's basically built around different work streams to create transformation interoperability improving back office processes and better value for money in whitehall so if it's if it's going to get to grips with those issues then this is a, a big piece of work and it's significant you've had a quick read of it um what do you make of it what are your thoughts on whether this is a game changer or if it's a, an exercise a retread of sort of an ambition and an exercise that's been done before what do you, what do you think i'm a bit cynical about this one, i'm afraid uh i'll give you a couple of reasons the first one um, when i read through it I found it fascinating to read that it was there were a lot of boxes with, with shared service and then there was one box called HMRC. So it read to me like shared services excluding HMRC, mm. which is I think about a quarter of the civil service or possibly as much as a third. So that's a big lump to park to one side uh, and, and not deal with. The second thing, which I think is far more serious, actually, that's a bit flippant, but but actually you, you do have to beg the question. If you talk shared services and then stick a Whitehall yeah. department of that size and complexity in a box on its own, you're kind of thinking, right, what, how serious is this? The second thing is, look at local government. Local government's been through this and they've been through it in the last 10 years. And most shared services are being dismantled. Yeah? Right. Um, and the reason they're being dismantled um, is because actually technology has overtaken the need. Uh, and let me explain a bit further. So big driver behind shared services was around um, consolidating back office. That was the main driver around shared service, right? We're all familiar with that. So, you know, shared HR, shared IT, shared finance, processing kind of stuff. And, and as I say, local government went through that. Certainly over the last 20 years, a lot of shared services uh, were created. Uh, Triboroughs in London, two lots of Triboroughs actually. You had uh, Westminster, Kensington, Chelsea, and Hammersmith and Fulham, where I did the business case for IT on that one back in the day. And you also had Camden, Islington, and Harringay, and there were others, uh, Brent, Southwark, and Lewisham. So there were a variety in London, and they've all pretty much unraveled. Yeah, um, to a great to a great extent. LGSS, which was the big Northamptonshire shared service, has has gone. Yeah, there are a few dotted around uh, that tend to um, be more focused on geography um, and and agencies in a geography. So so they work more because of the the geography of, of where they're at rather than providing economies of scale. Yeah. So 
my my point about it why they've dismantled why they've been dismantled is hr shared service nowadays with technology it's self-service it's not shared service anymore employees and managers do it themselves and you have a very small hr function yeah uh, most private sector went down this road donkeys years ago you know you, you you just you get your own payslip electronically all that right and the same goes for finance you most of what was required in a shared service has been automated you just so you don't have these big entities the last bastion around this was it and of course, with the uh, advent of Windows 10 and what we've actually seen around COVID, but actually it was happening before that, is IT has become commoditized to an extent where you don't need large numbers of technical experts anymore. You know, if your computer goes wrong, you hot swap it for another one and somebody fixes it and gives it to somebody else down the line. You don't take it away and try and fix it on scene anymore. They work, it, the stuff works. You know, cloud is wiping out data centers. So, so the arguments for shared services have been heavily diminished. So how have they, how have very smart people in government business services, so how have they arrived at this shared services idea now when potentially the evidence elsewhere is, is, a, is a move away from that? So what do you think, what do you think the thinking is? Well, that's what's baffled me a bit. And, and, and it might be symptomatic of our earlier conversation around, uh, you know, Whitehall and agile government, funny enough, <laughs> which is, so, so is, is this next iteration of shared services another attempt to knock down the walls between the, between the organisations? But then I'll come back to my earlier point. There is a great big fortress called HMRC that's sitting on all those future state shared services in splendid isolation. So, so this is why I'm a bit cynical about it. The, what is the driver here? Um, is the driver here purely on efficiency? Well, I would, I would ask them i would say to them look look to what's happened already and is efficiency actually around just embracing consumerization and commoditization of those services as they are now and shifting behaviors yeah so that's that's my, my first challenge my second challenge is if it is about dealing with silos and culture change uh, look at culture change rather than looking at restacking the deck chairs deck chairs yeah well, yeah uh, and, and, and I think that for me are kind of my questions around it. So there we go, episode done. Thanks to David for joining me as ever. I've left my desk behind to unwind in the delights of the Essex countryside after a long day. Make sure you're doing the same. Don't let that mental health suffer. Also, head over to our online content platform at govx.digital. You can check out the latest blogs, articles, infographics, opinion pieces, podcast episodes, all of that good stuff that we're putting out right now to keep you abreast of the world of government transformation. Also, don't forget to head over to our YouTube channel to subscribe to the podcast there. Go to your favourite podcast platform, Spotify, Google, whichever it might be, and register there to subscribe and never miss out on another episode. That's about it from me. I'm going to head off, enjoy a walk, and then be back fighting fit next week for some more great content with the GovX Digital team. Until then, bye-bye.